0: everybody this is melissa this is jill and this is mel and jill geek out welcome back yeah, so we're going to be talking about a really popular book today, um, but I kind of wanted to start out with kind of this concept that I have noticed in fantasy books, which is I feel like there's there's two dichotomies. It's either there used to be dragons and we're trying to find them, or holy shit, there's too many dragons. <laughs> I feel like it's a fair assessment. Yeah, I feel like there's yeah. not a lot in the middle of the road of those two, like, types of fantasy
1: books. I'm going through my head and trying to think. Granted, I haven't made it through the entire Wheel of Time series, but I don't remember dragons being in that one.
0: I... So, like, there are also books that have, like, no dragons, because, like, obviously, like, Akatar doesn't At least as far as we know, does not have any dragons. It's either, like, if there are dragons, it is either a problem that they are not there or a huge problem that they are there. (laughs) Like, Game of Thrones. No dragons, but there actually are dragons,
1: and they're a giant problem for most people. Although I'm Uh, sure some people would say that really the problem in that series is George RR R. Martin rather than anything else because good god one I mean well the eight and let's let's add the HBO showrunners of the last season into that category as well
0: okay I have a theory on this George RR R. Martin gave them at least like a general outline of the end of the song and fire or song of ice and fire books and so he intended to have Danny have a Mad Queen arc at the end of the series. And then he saw the reaction of everyone from the show and he's having to rewrite a bunch of stuff because everybody was pissed.
1: I think that that is definitely a distinct possibility. My caveat to that is I'm sure had the book come out before the show, it would have made a lot more sense because you can't cuz you can't pack everything that's in those series into that season that like the entire television series because good god you could you could do five seasons on one book at a time so i'm sure that like the way it played out on television was terrible because i agree i think george r r martin probably gave them the ending and it just didn't land at all so now, no. because, like, because you like you said, now I think he's like, oh shit! Now I gotta fix it because I also don't buy because he said he came out recently and was like, oh, I'm still working on it. I work on it every day, dude. dude. It's been how how long since that the
0: last one came out? I think it's like ten years or something at this point. I, Hang on, let's ask the Google machine. How long since the last game of... Thrones book was released uh it has been 12 years since yeah.
1: Dance with Dragons was released so that was what like 2011 that sounds about right because you know what yeah. that's when I started reading the books because my girlfriend was reading them and she suggested it to me and then I had someone in my life suggest that I watch the, the show And the first episode, I was like, meh. But then when I read the books, I was like, oh, this is going to be good. But yeah, and I read through them very quickly, kind of like I did *Akatar*. And this is where that story or the comparison diverges. But like, I've been waiting because I was like, oh, I got to read this before the last one comes out. Ten years later, here we are. Yeah, you had more than enough time. *Akatar*. at least we have like a tentative
0: release date for the next book.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but it's still 2025. Yeah,
0: but I have a faith that SJM is actually going to meet that. I would agree. I think she's she's actually going to meet that. Okay, so do you want to tell everybody what we're talking about today? Because it was your suggestion.
1: We are talking about Fourth Wing, the supposedly, like, best book most people have on Talk have ever re- read. Not written, read. Um, I was suggested to this by my co-worker's wife shout out molly if you ever listen to this <laughs> <But> <laughs> everyone is all over book talk about it talking about how great it is i've seen so many people all over the online sphere saying like oh my god this is the best book book i've ever read so figured we get it a sh- give it a shot it's also kind of in the genre that M- melissa reeves so i figured it would be good
0: to be fair i read almost everything i used to say didn't read romance but now i'm a big romance reader i've read a little bit of everything so i'll i'll try anything once but what do i know um so yeah we're gonna do this in multiple parts because it is a 500 page book um so we're gonna talk chapters 1 through 14 today we have not read past chapter 14
1: well maybe one of us did
0: well maybe one of us did because she didn't remember where the stopping point was. But it's okay, she promised not to spoil anything.
1: Yeah, no, there's a distinct line. And it will be you'll when you start reading the next chapter, Melissa, you'll be like, yeah, yeah, Yeah. distinct line there, in my opinion, anyway. Chapter 14 kind of ends on a
0: cliffhanger. So that also is a fun aspect of this. So let's just dive in. We're gonna go chapter by chapter a little bit and just kind of talk about what happens in the first third of this book. Editing Melissa here. This is your spoiler warning. If you have not read Fourth Wing at all, do not proceed. Do not pass go. Pause now. Come back later. Um, So chapter one, the book opens with Violet just kind of trudging up some stairs. She is our main character. um, And she is very much in her internal dialogue that today is conscription day and she's gonna go visit her mom who is the general of this war college. Can you pronounce it? Because I so I'm reading the physical book so I have no idea how
1: half of the names are pronounced. This was that was one that I missed so I'm gonna have to go back and find it editing melissa here
0: so apparently a lot of the words and names of dragons and things like that in fourth wing are based in scottish gaelic so no wonder none of us could pronounce it so the school is boss Gieth. um so sh- her mom is the general like in charge of this thing and she has made the decision that Violet has to join the writer's quadrant instead of the scribe quadrant that she had originally been training her whole life to do so about 6 months ago Her mom made this decision that she has to join the writer's quadrant because her mom, her sister, and her brother were all in the writer's quadrant. But her dad was in the scribe quadrant. So she's a giant book nerd. And so she gets up the stairs with her pack full of things. And she talks a lot about her being physically weak. Like, there's this allusion to... Violet's mom having some kind of fever when she was pregnant with her and that's kind of what they attribute her physical weaknesses to. But yeah so she has this really heavy pack she can barely make it up the stairs and then she goes into the room into her mom's office and her sister is there and her sister's not supposed to be there her sister's in the eastern wing she's supposed to be on the front lines doing her thing but her sister's there trying to convince her mom to not Force Violet into the writer's quadrant because nobody thinks Violet can do this kind of outside of her mom. Violet doesn't think she can make it in the writer's quadrant. Mira doesn't think it... Mira is her sister. Doesn't think she can make any of these um, in the writer's quadrant. Everybody's like, stop
1: doing this. Why are you doing this? Um, why, why do you think that her mom is pushing this so hard?
0: I don't have a clear idea I think something must have, because clearly mom was fine with it up until six months ago. Something must have happened six months ago where the mom thinks that Violet going into the Rider's quadrant is going to be a more beneficial thing for Violet. I don't think the mom who's, we find out through weird, back channels is named lilith i don't think she has she does anything that isn't intentional so pushing her out of scribe and into quadrant or into writers is very intentional and i think it has something to do with stuff that we have not yet really explored this far into the book
1: well yeah i mean it's the very beginning but you know, it's kind of like you said, nobody thinks that she can do it. It seems to be an entire theme throughout at least what we've read so far, which is annoying to me. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like I could see it if it was her mom that was like, no no, 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 you're not doing this. But every it's everybody else. It's like, no, 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 this is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. One, like she's not really given a choice. So be supportive. Stop telling her that she can't do something. And two, maybe it's the paranoia in me. But I just feel like her mom there's something there, and it's not like a nice intention of sending her. It's something that benefits the mom, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. Benefits and then, the mom or
1: benefits like
0: the world as a whole.
1: That's that's also a possibility. Then the next then my next question is
0: So just kind of continue down plot line. Uh, We learn that Violet, like most... (laughs) fantasy characters who are the main character or just exist in the universe has a tragic backstory shock and awe um, her brother died and was part like in part due to this rebellion that was occurring and then her father also passed away so she's had a lot of loss in her life and she really attributes her mom to only really loving her brother like she likes Mira and she tolerates Violet but
1: she really loved her brother. Okay two things one every sibling feels about that way about their parents oh they love so and so more so that's just a little whiny note to herself i think but the part about her brother passing away and her dad passing away i don't think Mm -hmm. they gave us a timeline for that did they
0: Edding Melissa is back. Uh, we rambled on about this timeline for a really long time, so I have just come in to make it a little succinct for you. The rebellion was six years ago. Violet is 20, not 22. M- my bad. Brennan, Violet's brother, died five years ago. Her father's chest pains started after Brennan's death, and it's estimated that he died about two years ago.
1: The Lilith thing. Mom's Mom's name is Lilith. What do you think about that? Because that caught my Um, attention. I mean, obviously, there's some, like,
0: biblical references there with Lilith, for sure. I don't know, because most of the names in this book so far have not seemed to have a lot of intention behind them. Like, what intention is there in Violet right now? What intention is there in a lot of these names? So... I'm not saying there isn't something to her being named Lilith. I just have not seen Rebecca Jaros really
1: show that these are more than just names pulled out of a hat. I just feel like Lilith isn't a common choice unless it is like a specifically evil woman.
0: I mean, she could be evil. There's yeah. definitely opportunity for that.
1: I got the tiny little alarm uh, bells going off in of my brain. I love it. I don't trust you.
0: Yeah, and she is a tough woman. She's hard on everyone around her. She's hard on Violet. She's hard on Mira. She probably was hard on the dad and the brother. Um, but I did want to call out, I think you wanted to call out this line of, Mira, Violet deals with more pain with before lunch than you do in an entire week. If any of my children is
1: capable of surviving the writer's quadrant, it's her. Well, at least she's got one vote of confidence, right? Mom mom says, she, her, says she's capable of doing it. But yeah, like, okay, they've alluded to physical weakness and pain. What? What is that? Like, mm-hmm. and it's not really described at this point in the book, not like, not chapter one, but like in the first third that we've read, they don't really explain it. So I don't know if we will get one. But in my head, I was like, okay, what pain? Are we talking about physical pain? Are we talking about mental pain? Like, she's desperately grieving. Like, what? Again, it's just like, what? What is it?
0: Yeah, we get descriptions of Violet being, like, physically fragile um you know she talks about being winded just carrying the backpack up the stairs to her mom's office and it's not even that high and she's worried about like climbing the tower to she's just out of shape potentially but my my question here is 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 this we don't really know as of chapter 14 is this intended to be like quote disability Representation, or is it a plot device within the larger story? Because my personal prediction, because if we pair the physical weakness with for some reason, Violet's hair has this really different attribute where it's dark at the roots and but it loses pigmentation to like a silvery white at the ends, no matter what length she has it. So long or short, doesn't matter, it's always gonna do that. My prediction because i read a lot is that violet is suppressing some kind of magic in herself because to su- like we get this like little side plot thing where there's like this wyvern story and that you can't have magic unless it's coming from a dragon because bad juju happens it's not a lot of explanation there but there's this allusion to it and i'm like what if violet is so like somehow is suppressing this magic in her and that's where her physical weakness is coming from and that's where like her weird hair is coming from not this random quote freak fever her mother had while she was
1: pregnant with her that would make that would make a lot more sense to me and it like sometimes you read books about people and like sometimes I kind of think that it's gonna go in that direction that there's something like they haven't discovered about themselves or it's an internal thing, not an external thing, an internal mm-hmm. thing that they haven't figured out themselves. So yeah. I think which which is very reminiscent of Akatar with mm-hmm. What's Her Face before Tamlin came and stole her. But yeah. getting like without getting off topic. Like I the way I was reading it, I was like, Okay, there's definitely something within her that she hasn't recognized herself yet.
0: And I'm also finding if it's just general disability representation, showing that somebody who oh, yeah. has a, like, lesser physical ability is still capable of doing all of these things through other means and accommodating their 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 physical self another way. I agree so with that. Talk- I
1: just think it's not very well represented. It would be nice to see that. It's just one of those things that, like, you just don't see often.
0: Yeah, I would be super on board if that happened more often. And if it's... If that is the case in this story, I'm 100% fine with it. Like, I'm 100% on board. So, after the confrontation between Mira and Violet and their mom in her office, Mira and Violet go back to Violet's room where she's had to pack up all of her belongings. And Mira sort of repacks her bag, and that's where we have this snippet of this book from her father that's about, like, the Wyverns and magic, which I feel like you don't know, put in just to put in that definitely is probably going to play in at some point wyverns are gonna be a thing i'm calling it right now um But then Mira also gives Violet a set of riding leathers that has a few unique features. So it has all of these slots for daggers, which we learn that though Violet is not very strong, she is fast and she's pretty good with a dagger and she can throw them really well. So she's got all these slots for daggers and then she also gives her sort of this corset armor thing that is made from the scales of Mira's dragon. So it's really, really strong, but still lightweight.
1: So when they talked about the magic stuff, I, I a quote stood out to me and says, just don't try to channel power without being a bonded writer. And red-eyed monsters won't hide under your bed waiting to snatch you away on their two-legged dragons to join their dark army. I wouldn't be surprised if there were two-legged dragons. AKA wyverns. Is that what they are? Yeah, that's what a wyvern is. It's a two-legged dragon. Did I miss two that? Did they explain that? Th- that's
0: oh, just
1: okay. that's just how things are. That's like that's the difference between a wyvern and a and a dragon. But was that that? My question was like, was that in the book? And I just skimmed right over it. Right. I think they do. I don't think it's in chapter one. I think it's in like. At
0: some point, when she's talking about it with somebody at school, they like say wyvern instead of to like a dragon.
1: Got it. Okay, so that that part wasn't the most off-ball piece of it of that quote. It was the dark army. Like, what's what's the dark army? Are they talking about that other country that they're at war with that they currently have like a trade agreement with? Or is that something completely different? I think it's something completely different because
0: Purimiel is described as having griffins, not wyverns. So they have a different mythical creature. So I don't think it's Purimiel. I think it's probably something that's happening underneath everything else that's going on.
1: I see. Yeah, I could see that. So then maybe it's like, they all, the people that there are they're, I cannot pronounce that name and I don't remember the way it says in the audible but maybe they all join together and end up Mm -hmm. having to deal with the dark army
0: an alliance has to happen between Nevere and poor meal and then they uh, go against the dark army with their wyverns maybe maybe that's the big bad because this is a five book series
1: maybe
0: um so then mira walks violet through sort of where the residencies are for the people who teach there and then um it is conscription day so apparently this country has been at war for like a long 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 time most of the youth joins into the military, into one of the four quadrants. So there's infantry, scribe, healer and riders. Our riders are obviously the dragon riders why we're caring about this book um so she kind of meets two people initially Rhiannon and Dylan as they're signing their names they are sort of in front and behind her Rhiannon is in front of her Rhiannon and Dylan are both in front of her and then Jack Barlow is behind her and he's a douche canoe yay for me um so they go up Everybody obviously recognizes her as the General's daughter. She signs her name, then they have to climb this tower and then cross a parapet. Um, So we see a few things before that happens though. So like I said, we meet Rhiannon and Dylan. We meet Jack Barlow, who is a turd douche canoe person. And then we also meet Zayden, who is the son of the Rebellion leader. Generally hot man. Why is it
1: that they all like the people that you're supposed to hate? Like... They walk in, and you're like, oh my god, they're the most beautiful man I've ever met. It's like every every book is like that. Um, and then
0: it's just pretty. Everybody has warned Violet about Zayden yeah. and him wanting to to hurt her, to kill her because yeah. So I think there's there's some interesting things when we talk about the rebellion. They mention these things called the rebellion relics and. Th- they're not all described consistently. So, like Zayden's is described as being like huge from like his neck all the way down to the bo- like to the back of his hand, but then other characters are not described to being as large. And I just think it's a really interesting concept to like mark the children or the people who participate, like even kind of tertiary participated in this rebellion. It gives me, and this is gonna sound really bad, but it just just the first thing that popped into my mind is how concentration camps would tattoo the, the, the Jewish people or the inmates.
1: Um, I mean, I see that connection. It didn't immediately pop into my mind. My thought was the reason that his was bigger than most people's was because he was the son of the leader of the rebellion. But I am okay. going to point out that I think this is a stupid idea in the first place. Like I think I wrote that down. I said I think I, I in my Kindle Notes app I, I literally copy and pasted it onto this outline and said this seems like a dumb idea. Why would you do that? Like I know that it was kind of a common thing back in like medieval times where you would take someone's son and and it was kind of a like an insurance policy, I guess. It's like behave. Hey, I'm gonna like kill your kid. But this yeah. doesn't this doesn't seem that way. Like mm-hmm. all you did was give them a reason to hate you more and for them to be subversive and like their parents are dead. There's no one there's no one to threaten.
0: It's interesting too to kinda of correlate on that is that all of the children of the rebellion are required to join. They're not necessarily required to join the writer's quadrant, but they're all required to join the military. A lot of them end up in infantry, but some are in writers so I think that that is interesting as well um but I think there might be underlying subplot here to that reasoning and this is jumping ahead a little bit to when we have we'll get there but there's a conversation that happens with the rebellion kids at the tree and something is said and I think that there's Important other information happening, and there's a reason why they're keeping all of these kids kind of closely contained. So that brings us to chapter two, where Violet has to now cross the parapet. So it's this long skinny little bridge and essentially if you fall off sad for you you die and you're obviously clearly not meant to be a writer um and obviously violet is very afraid because i would also be very afraid i would not want to do this um but she uses this really interesting technique of reciting facts to herself and i think it's interesting because a i think it's A mildly clever way to lore dump um and two i do this like this is a way that i calm my own anxiety is i recite random shit about stuff to myself so i identified a lot with with Violet's coping mechanism
1: (laughs) yeah that's not what i tell myself but we don't have to go into that um i i will say the parapet thing like i know we talked about this it's kind of hard to envision everything that they're physically doing because mm-hmm. i know that there's the bridge portion but i remember them talking about having to go up in an upward direction and then yeah. also this is the part where like she and Rian and actually end up being somewhat friends because mm-hmm. violet mira kind of prepped her a little bit she braided violet's hair And took books out but also gave her appropriate shoes because what she had on were slick. And the ones that Mira gave her were grippy. So she noticed that if Rhiannon – she noticed Rhiannon had slick shoes. And she knew that if Rhiannon fell, she was going to fall. She was right Mm -hmm. behind her. So they switched shoes. Sorry, they didn't switch the entire pair. They, They switched one shoe. The lore dumping is definitely important. Because even as we get into the later portions of you'll it'll reverberate back to it.
0: Agreed. And then we also get Barlow being more than just a vocal douchebag. He is just a full-on douche canoe here because he steps out onto the parapet because they have to like climb this tower and then they have to walk across a skinny bridge to get to where they have to go and he like two steps out tosses somebody off of the parapet and this is like acceptable behavior in the writer's quadrant we also don't stick around with Dylan very often very long because Dylan promptly falls off all on his own
1: yeah that was so, real fast But also, I liked the note that you wrote about that. So I'm going to read it exactly as you wrote it because that made me laugh out loud. And it says... He yeets someone off the parapet, which is kind of okay in the writer's quadrant.
0: (laughs) I think, so to me, this is just kind of painting Jack Barlow as a straight up sociopath. Like he is cool with murdering people. He's cool with taking fate into his own hands. And we definitely see that continuing on. Later into this, later down the line. So Violet ends up like falling and hurting her knee. So this is the first time we've actually seen her actually randomly get hurt more so than she should have. Like anybody else, it would have been just a normal bruise for her. Her like knee is super messed up. And then Barlow kind of chases after her and she whips around and literally holds barlow by the balls with her dagger i loved Ah. it oh my god that was great barlow's obviously not happy about this but everybody's just like you can either get stabbed in the balls or you can leave her alone
1: well because i didn't they like specifically say like you're kind of going against the rules here and she's following them to the letter because technically Mm -hmm. he hadn't gotten off the parapet yet he was still there so if he tried to fuck with her she had every right to do whatever Mm -hmm. and they're telling him like the older cadets around him are like yo man you can't do that so yeah he really enjoyed Uh, that he really enjoyed hearing that using the rules to skirt the rules is amazing listen malicious Uh, compliance is a beautiful thing
0: so during her lore dump reciting of information. She tells us a little bit more about how like Tarendor, which is the the country that ultimately rebelled, like kind of reluctantly joined this alliance against Poromiel. And then we learn a little bit more about like the different provinces and she goes to talk about the Barons and she gets interrupted. Did that mean that some does that mean something is going on in the Barons? I think it does. I think that that's probably where like this dark army with the Wyverns hangs out. I feel like Not going into detail there, and there's nothing on the map, either. That was an intentional thing.
1: I don't know if I picked up on that, so maybe.
0: Yeah, so she's talking... She's, like, reciting about all of these, like, natural borders and things like that, and kind of explaining the math. She goes, Beyond Krovla, beyond our enemy, lies the distant barrens, a desert, dash, thunder cracks, the wind slams into me, and I flail my arms. Shit.
1: Yeah, I definitely Um, um, skimmed right over that. Because I, like, I, I probably saw that she was like describing landscape and i was like man not paying attention (laughs) sometimes that happens as soon as i read
0: that part i immediately turned to the map and i was like well what's there oh literally in the barrens i'm gonna because i don't know if jill pays attention to the map it literally says like nothing there's no like cities marked there's literally nothing on the map
1: i mean i do have a map it's hard to see in the kindle version because it's on my phone so it's, it's not, I did look at it, but I, I didn't go back and reference it. And yeah, point one for the physical book. The map is way easier to read.
0: Then that brings us to chapter three, where we're officially across the parapet. So getting across the parapet means she's officially a first year cadet for the writer's squadron, and she meets back up with Rhiannon and this is the first time we also meet Dane. So Rhiannon and violet or switching their boots back and she's talking about how her knee is hurt but she's trying to not show any weakness and then dane shows up and he is her childhood friend he is the son of her mom's assistant they've known each other there pretty much their whole lives he's a year older than her so he is already a second year in the writer's quadrant i feel like there's just a lot to say here um i'm gonna start with like
1: where do you want to start You want to talk talk about the military viewpoint or you want to talk about Uh, Dane?
0: Let's just kind of go point by point of what I've listed here. So, number one, I don't understand why the blatant murder is a thing. Like, it's totally fine that Jack Barlow threw this other potential cadet off of the parapet to his death. They talk about the danger of the writer's quadrant a lot how it's a very dangerous place you need to have allies like the only time somebody can't attack you is when you're actively asleep there's just a lot of talk about how dangerous it is and if this is if we're taking this as a metaphor for like military training in general
1: that is just not how it is. Like, I, I mean, I think she's taking inspiration from it because there's definitely units that you have to be in because theoretically this is like a unit or a job, yeah. a job in the military. Let's not say unit because like...
0: Yeah. You know. Everybody does a little bit of different things within the unit.
1: Exactly. And each, at least of our military, each branch also has their own versions within that one. So Mm -hmm. if we were talking about like a special forces equivalent, there's still like you have to go through the class and you have to learn the language and you have to do all these. Granted, disclaimer, I don't know everything about this. I was previously married to somebody in the military as Well, Melissa is currently married to someone who was in the military. But regardless, like I have a little bit of familiarity. And while they're not murdering people, I think it's they're trying to achieve the same goal. But fourth wing is just a little bit more ruthless. They're allowed to do those things because one, there's I think they said there's not that many dragons. Right. Mm -hmm. and, And then I think in a couple chapters here in a minute, like one of the teachers says, like less and less dragons are willing to bond every year. So Mm -hmm. they need less people in the writer's quadrant, first of all. And second, like there's less dragons for them to fly. So what are you supposed to do with all those people that make it across?
0: I mean, somebody has to like clean the dragon stables, right? (laughs) I mean, maybe. I was actually thinking, I was like, what do they do afterward? So I hear you. But when we talk about like difficulty in military training, when we talk about like SEAL training, they put them through hell week not to, quote, try to break them, but it's meant to try to build trustworthiness between the members of that unit. It is meant to get them to rely on each other and having just outright murder seems a little bit much when it's like really not that necessary especially when the dragons are going to kill people all on their own so spoiler alert the dragons also will kill you like it's not just the people you have to worry about the dragons will also be like mm, i i've assessed your character you are not worthy By i'm gonna barbecue you i just think that it is maybe a little it's
1: <sighs> i still think it's like they're trying to accomplish the same goal because one of his things is like well she's she's a liability. She's a <laughs> weak, she's going to be a weakling. She's going to get me killed.
0: But like and it's just is she just because she's physically weak does not mean she is ultimately a liability because the the radio guy is usually not the strongest guy in the unit,
1: but he can like communicate with everyone. But that's not the, that's not how he sees it. Because I, remember she says like everybody talks about how writers Pick people for their strength and their cunning, and just like it's—it's it's not a mentally strong thing. It's a—it's a physically strong thing that everyone thinks that that's what the dragons want. So mm-hmm. Barlow thinks that she's a liability. I yeah. don't think she's a liability. I think she just hasn't figured out how to use her own talents yet i mean she will but like eventually she will but they don't see it that way because she's not physically strong so to them they're just weeding her out before the dragons have an opportunity to do it it's just an interesting concept it's fucked up it's fucked up but that's what they're trying to do they're trying to make sure that at the end of it i feel safe standing next to the guy right right to the left of me or to the right of me and I say guy yeah. as in like a general term, not specifically men.
0: Yes, but I don't know if I would feel confident or I would be able to trust the person to my left if i had also physically witnessed them murdering multiple people throughout our training process because they personally have deemed somebody weak that is um not something i would be super cool with because it's like well i could just piss them off and they would say well i deemed them weak and then murder me
1: yeah i mean i think there are some rules around it that we don't get right off the bat there are certain things that you can and can't do but I see what you're saying I mean it's just like you said it's it's primed to make the entire group sociopath so
0: yeah yay we love having just a whole unit of the military be sociopaths um, so we also learn kind of the general structure so we learn so we meet Dane and we find out that he is the squad leader of the flame unit of the second wing, yay for made up military jargon! So it sounds like there's four wings and then there's three sections, and then within that, there's individual squads. Like, I think there's t- three or four squads within each section. Um, Dane is very surprised, obviously, to see Violet because when he left on conscription day a year ago she was 100% going into the scribe quadrant. So he kind of whisks her away to go help her with her knee because he's used to helping her. And then we get to see some low level magic from Dane where he's able to like unlock and lock his door and he we learn a little bit of how the writer bond works with the dragon and how the dragon kind of uses the human as a siphon of their magic. And then some like everybody gets like a quote special ability. It's called a signet power. Sometimes it's like an elemental power or sometimes it's like super special. And then we learn that the general of like the battling armies has a pretty clutch power of being able to predict the outcome of a battle. Very clutch. Very clutch for a for,
1: for general. Also very dangerous. A hundred percent. This is... We'll come back to the signet powers later, and then I will also mention this specifics one here. But my maybe this is just the books that i re- mostly read which is a lot of murder and suspense but like again that sent little alarm bells in the back of my brain going off and it's like mm-hmm. this has the potential to be used i don't want to say badly that's not the right word not for not for good let's put it that way and and that it makes me hmm you know your spidey senses are tingling when it comes Definitely. to the yeah. the general for sure I don't, I don't quite trust you i don't know well i mean not Dane. i'm talking do. about i'm talking about the general and the powers but literally that's all they said about it so i'm taking a giant leap from there, and there.
0: yeah and i don't because at the beginning of every chapter we have like these little snippets of like textbooks or the the codex or yeah. and the beginning of chapter five so just a little ha- ahead of it we have knowing that Knowing I am in direct disagreement with General Melgren's who's the general that has that ability, orders, I am officially objecting to the plan to set forth in today's briefing. It is not the general, this general's opinion that the children of the rebellion leader should be forced to witness their parents' execution. No child should watch their parent be put to death. And that was a memo to the king from violet's mom so obviously violet's mom and this general don't see eye to eye Mm -hmm. because she's like "Mm, yeah maybe the kids shouldn't have to watch their parents be executed that's kind of fucked up
1: let's punish the kids the children again children for the shit that their parent did because that was a while ago that's not like that was a few years ago right
0: no that was like at the end of the rebellion so minimum three years ago probably long well long.
1: it's not as long as i thought it would be but isn't zayden like a third year
0: yes so that's what i'm saying
1: zayden's a third year i could because then then it's even more of a dumb idea in my opinion to conscript people because they're older they're not young mm-hmm. kids that you can mold into, integrate into your culture. Mm-hmm. Like once you get to a certain point, that's a very difficult thing to do. And so if Violet is 22 going into conscription day, that would put Zayden at about 25, 26, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a 232223 22, 23 year old, you're you're going to punish them for the stuff that their dad was doing. He was probably part of it. So Mm -hmm. if that's the case, then you might as well kill them too. Now, Mm -hmm. so it makes me wonder how long ago that happened. I will do some digging afterwards and see if we can figure that out.
0: So in this like exchange with Dane, I think it's pretty clear that Violet has a little bit of a crush on him. I don't know if it's entirely reciprocated, I I don't Um, think it is. You can't see this
1: on the microphone, but I biggest eye roll right now.
0: Spoiler alert: None of us are big fans of Dan here. Sorry, Dan's gonna get
1: shit on a lot in this podcast. Right (laughs) off the bat, right off the bat for me, I don't know about you, because initially, because like when she walked in, he was pissed. It wasn't a what you are. What are you doing here? It was a like why would you make this choice? That's so. Dumb, and then when she finally explains that it was no, it was mom. He's still angry. He's -hmm. still angry, and he's still trying. Not at her mom. Exactly. I. So I'm not. I'm not a Dane fan.
0: No. And he like immediately is like, well, we gotta like sneak you out. We gotta get you to the scribe quadrant. Like this isn't gonna. And she's pretty much like, well, if cool, but she's gonna immediately bring me back. So like, what the hell is the point? And girl comes out here using some, like some statistics. I love a good little math moment. She's like, well, 85% of people make it across the parapet. And I'm one of those 85%, I wasn't part of the 15 who died, just crossing the parapet itself. So clearly I have some ability because I made it across the parapet. So let me
1: see how I do. The lack of confidence in his childhood friend that he literally grew up with Uh He knows her really, really well at this point, probably better than anyone would be my guess. And he just has zero confidence in her abilities to do this, like not even a little bit. And and it's not just here. I, I said it earlier, like this has happened repeatedly throughout this third of the book that we're that we're reading. And that if some if my friend was doing that from childhood, I would be angry. Like, we wouldn't be friends. And also, she gets told at least twice, if not more, that she is smarter than her siblings.
0: We both are very frustrated with his lack of ability to, like, have any confidence in her or support her whatsoever. Because, like, as a friend... If uh, my friend who I am not super confident is going to be able to do this, I'm not going to be like, well, let's scurry you away. I'm going to be like, how can I help you to not die? How can I protect you? How can I help you? Um, Dane and Violet also come to an agreement that they're going to try to keep their friendship on the down
1: low. And they're terrible at it. Because when she got there, what did he do? He swifts her away and helps her with her knee. And then they decide, we should probably pretend like we don't know each other. Yeah, so
0: it it lasts all of a chapter. So (laughs) something I really noticed in this is that Violet is clearly a very observant person, because as we're sitting in her perspective, she's really noticing a lot of things. Like, she notices the pink-haired girl who we learn later to be Imogen, or Imogen, or I don't know how to pronounce it, I'm sorry. Imogen. Imogen. Um, She's noticing all of these things, and then... Dane makes this promise to have her and Rhiannon in his unit. So he goes and talks to the girl who's like like divvying up all of the cadets to put them into his squad. And then this works for about 10 seconds. Uh, Because all of this is to try to protect her from being under Zayden. And Zayden, in a single conversation, gets Dane's squad switched from second wing to fourth wing. Zayden is the wing leader for fourth wing. So he is officially literally in charge of all of them.
1: Why do you think he did that?
0: So I think Zayden probably does want to have some amount of revenge against her because of all of the stuff that happens through Rebellion, but I also think he's the ultimate love interest of this story, so he wants... I know how enemies to lovers goes. He wants to have her close so he can keep an eye on her.
1: I'm going to spoil a little bit of the next few chapters for people. No, 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 no. No, no, no. I don't mean... I don't mean... No, no, no. I don't mean past chapter 14. I meant, like, because okay. we're only on chapter three. Is that, like he has multiple opportunities to kill her and he doesn't. So 100%. when I initially read this, I was like, all right, he's just moving her closer to the way it reads is to make it easier to kill her. But again, mm-hmm. I'm with you. Like as soon as she was being warned by people like, Oh, he's going to kill you. I was like, well, there's the love interest, but you know, <laughs> but that's just me at which kind of, Brings me to a point that well, she, he had multiple opportunities and he didn't act on them. So I agree that there's, like, a slightly different motive there. And I'm not entirely sure what it is for mm-hmm. him being moved into. But also, very quickly, again, if you're trying to hide the fact that you know somebody, why would you move them into your squad? That, like, it's just another – you're painting another target. But yeah. anyway, back to Zayden being the main love interest. Uh, it looks – like, you wrote something that I thought, so I'll let you take over.
0: Um, what the, lots of eye contact and tension happens between Zayden and Violet? <laughs> like,
1: it's, it, it is an immediate attraction thing, and it's not like a blatant way she states it, and I can't remember the exact phrase, is it? that she uses or the way she described it but it was like that's a girl who is attracted to somebody and just hasn't admitted it to herself. Like, it was an immediate thing.
0: A hundred percent. One hundred percent. And this chapter ends in an interesting way where like they have kind of this like rally speech and then the dragons fly in. One of them is Zayden's dragon and there's like this show of force where all these dragons land on this this parapet with them. And one of the cadets decides to nope out of it and tries to run off and then just gets completely barbecued by this red dragon. I think it's, and a a couple more people die, but it's kind of just like how we get the full force of like how ruthless the dragons can be that they're like, we really can't, if you have fear of that level, you're not welcome here. Yeah. Um, and there's eye contact between her and Zayden's dragon, in this chapter which i think is interesting before she like really connects that those are that's who that is in the internal dialogue violet is very much talking about how she is feeling the fear in that moment but she like talks herself out of it almost she uses this rationality of being like well this dragon can probably see right through me oh so i shouldn't be afraid like
1: she's good at not showing it mm -hmm. unlike myself good lord can you imagine me standing in well the dragon part would be cool but you get like melissa can attest to the fact that if i whatever i'm thinking it is on my face absolutely on my face and it gets me into trouble
0: uh so then we jump into chapter four and it's the next day and they're reading off all of the names of everybody who died the previous day not the happiest most positive way to start the day but you got to mark the death somehow it
1: reminded me of the civil war yeah because i feel like was... by the time world war Two run ran around it was like in the newspapers but i'm sure that mm-hmm. they like read it out back mm-hmm. then
0: like checking the boards to see if your like friend is still alive kind of thing yeah. <laughs> Um, and then we meet Sawyer, who is a returning first year cadet because he didn't bond with the dragon the previous year. Um, and this is where we kind of get that first glimpse of there's not always enough dragons to writers situation. Um, and they get released to go to class. And Dane, again, they're terrible at hiding their friendship because he does this like secret bird whistle at her and they go back to his dorm and he's like all worried about her knee and stuff and asked if anybody tried to attack her in the middle of the night. And she's like, literally everybody fell asleep and also we're not allowed to attack each other while we're asleep. <laughs> like, Dane says he confirmed that Zayden did make that move.
1: Yeah, but how did he from- confirm that? No.
0: Who the fuck knows probably from his yeah. good friend amber whatever her name was
1: not a reliable huh. source his fuck buddy i think yeah his fuck buddy
0: um we're gonna talk about that that whole situation in a bit we learned the name of zayden's dragon please say it Sagale. that was it Sagale. she's mean sorry and blue good for her we learned about Dane's dragon which is a red sword tail um he talks a little bit about the bond but apparently the bond how the bond function is just supposed to be like kind of secret i don't know why that is though like why wouldn't they be more upfront about how the bond works i don't know
1: i mean we Um, hear a little bit more later about it But we'll we'll talk about it when we get there.
0: Yeah. So Dane explains that some of the writers wear patches on their clothes about what their signet power is. Mostly like those elemental ones. And then we learn that Dane's is uh, kind of a fun extra power where if he touches someone, he can see some of their most recent thoughts. Uh, Really great in interrogation because... They may not say something if you ask a question, but they're probably going to think about it. And he is deemed to be not a security risk, which I Ow. think is interesting because they mention sick people who are who can read minds without having to touch someone, and they seem to be like 100% not allowed in the military, in, in this world. Those are bad. Do you think he's um. not a
1: security risk because... He's Lilith's assistant's son.
0: I think he's not a security risk because it does require him to physically touch someone. And so by not allowing him to physically touch someone for his power to work, I think that's what they deem as being okay within the security risk. I think that the fact that they have some powers that are deemed as a security risk is a
1: problem. What are you going to do about it? That's the thing. It's like you're, you either – you have to kill them away from their dragon because mm-hmm. that will cause you to just get incinerated instantly if you try it then. But on top of that, that doesn't just kill your rider. I mean there's, there's a bond there, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. There's some kind of relationship with a dragon. You piss mm-hmm. him off enough. What if he decides like, well, you killed my last one. I don't want to deal with you people anymore.
0: Yeah, and they talk about that a little later when we go through the dragons and we learn about the big black dragon who had been bonded with a writer who was a... I forget what the word was that they used. We'll talk about it more. Um, but that writer died. And they also talk about how if the, the dragon does choose to bond again, he, it doesn't necessarily give the next writer the same signet power. The signet power a little bit depends on on the human not so much the writer or so much the dragon
1: so like I said it it is more dependent on the writer and their personality what the signet is so what is that and it says something about them so what does that say about Dane.
0: I think the obvious thing thing is, like, if you're saying somebody can, like, read people's minds is that they are intuitive. They easily pick up on other people's things. But I think it might also be that he is intrusive, that he's willing to burrow into somebody's life and be sneaky about it, because to me, there's, like, a certain level of, like, sneakiness around the ability to read somebody's mind. because. I think it's human nature that we think that what happens inside of our own minds is, is only inside of our own minds. We think it is the most private place we can ever have a thought, like have something be. Like when you keep a secret, you're keeping it in your mind.
1: I think he also, with that ability, has the potential to manipulate things mm-hmm. to be the way he wants. So there's yeah, there's fine. Dane. Mm-hmm. So we find out Zayden's power later, which is we do. the. Shadow. command shadows is that that the way they phrased yeah. it That's yeah it darkness is. and shadows because of course he is he's the bad guy so is that right they're everywhere though so what is it? what do you think that says about him that he's the shadow because we know he's probably not actually the bad dude because he's the love interest
0: i think it's just one of those things where even in darkness there is shadow like even at night time there can still be shadows so it's this constant thing and you cannot it is this contrast between light and shadow it's shadow seeps into everything and it allows you to be a little bit of everywhere at once we haven't really seen how this shadow power really works other than he can see that like any time Violet tries to hide in the shadows, he immediately sees that she's there. Um, so we don't really know what it is because shadow power gets described differently Every single time we see it, like whether you're looking at like the Shadow and Bone series, whether you're looking at ACOTAR or um, Throne of Glass, like when somebody has, quote, like dark shadow power, it's different every single time. So I'm interested to see him actually use his power because we haven't really seen that yet. Uh, we also learn this is where we learn about Amber Mavis, who is the wing leader of the third wing, a.k.a. what was probably Dane's fuck buddy last year.
1: They're really brazen about sex in this book which i don't understand why they wouldn't just come out and phrase it that way unless dane is kind of one of those people and i think she describes this later she calls him like a rule follower like it's very Mm -hmm. important to him so it wouldn't surprise me if he's one of those buttoned up types Mm -hmm. like has to do everything right all the time like always be the good kid so I yeah. think that's probably why he didn't phrase it that way.
0: Yeah, he's a lawful good. And I think he also does not want to cross that line at all with Violet. Like, he does yeah. not want to talk sex with Violet whatsoever. <laughs> like, not interested in that conversation. But either.
1: do you think he wasn't interested because, like, they have this, like, brother-sister type relationship? and Or do you think it was because he like, knows that Violet has a thing for him, and he's trying to discourage it. Uh, Do you think he just doesn't want to discuss, like, his private relationship with Mavis?
0: I don't know. I think he's just wholly uncomfortable with the conversation. I think if he was having the conversation with pretty much anyone, he would be that person who blushes. He's just not comfortable talking about sex, probably, with anyone. That's the kind of vibe I got. And it's not necessarily that it's Violet. It's that he doesn't want to have this conversation with anybody. I mean, she does, like, crack jokes at him all the time about it, though. That's the thing. She does. She's much more uninhibited than he is. Dean suggests that she relies on the Codex, which is the group or the book of rules that sort of governs the writer's quadrant and use that to her advantage. And then he walks her to class. They see Zayden up on this like overlook in this big room. And Zayden like instantly calls them out for being friends. And then Dan's like, run away. And so she does. I think that that whole interaction was weird because he's not going to attack her in the middle of a like a rotunda full of people on day one. Like Zayden is smarter than that. He is a he's the leader of the rebellion son who has fought and risen to be wing leader of the fourth wing in a situation where he's clearly very much despised. I definitely feel like he was intentionally forced to conscript into the. Writer's Quadrant with the intention of him getting killed at some point because who his parents were, or hoping that the dragons would be like, Well, fuck this guy. And he has done the exact opposite. He's risen to leadership. He's followed the rules. He's played the game. And he, so he's not going to just jump down and stab her. Like, it's such a weird overreaction, in my opinion.
1: I think it's Dane's like overprotectiveness coming out, and which again is very fucking annoying. He's a lawful good in like the worst way possible. Yeah, and it's like like you it, it, exactly like you said, Zayden isn't going to jump out and like stab her right there. Like Dane is the one overreacting here in my opinion. Like the fact that I think Dane's only suggestion to Violet other than running away from the writer's quadrant in this entire Third, by the way, Mm -hmm. is that you should rely on the codex. No shit, Sherlock. Mm -hmm. What do you think that she has been doing for her entire lifetime in the library, like reading, following the rules? Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's she probably knows the rules better. Yeah, she exactly. She is fully aware of the rules. So the fact that that's his only suggestion, other than running away, says a lot about him.
0: Yeah, that so he is a douche canoe. Chapter five, and we get to go into Battle Brief. I think this is the cool class. Honestly, I could give a crap about the other classes. I'm like, I I love Harry Potter, but like, Going to class is the worst part of the Harry Potter books. I think in, in some my, of them
1: they were. <laughs>
0: books one and two, the worst part of going of Harry Potter was going to class. So, but at least Battle Brief is cool because we are talking about current or recent battles and they're sort of trying to train these cadets to think like a military leader. And it's the only class where all of the cadets are together. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do mention a lot that it's not common but it can happen where third year cadets do get called up they're usually not like on the front lines or like in a support position but sometimes they the third years do go out to active outposts um i i agree that that is foreshadowing for something that's going to happen probably in this book yeah. Uh, so the professor goes through some a recent battle in the eastern wing. Oh, I don't know if I put a note in here, but we so we have your battle brief, professor. But the head of the scribe unit is also an assistant professor of this class. So we get this like they can he can see Violet and he's like, oh shit, that's where she's at. Um, interesting, because she was gonna be like his protégé if she had been able yeah. to go into the squire, Scribe Quadrant. Yeah, so they describe this recent battle that happened on the eastern side of the country. I had to look at the map to understand this and to pull the names of these areas. So, I essentially, there's this mountain town and the the warriors from Meal are on their griffins and they are able to come through and not only are they able to come through the ward but they are able to channel and wield their magic and all of this happens kind of at night time um, the eastern wing was able to get there and defeat them but the village suffered some damages and some casualties they talk about how the ward is connected somehow to the
1: dragons and this is definitely a red flag. Yeah, I I will say this though. Like Violet, she pointed out that they had to have known they were already on the way because of the timing that mm-hmm. of when they arrived. Which yes. in, which initially I because that had something to do with the wards and then faltering and that how that's how it's connected to the dragons i think but it's not entirely explained
0: no so i don't think anybody really understands how the wards fully work um so the professor asks gets tries to get them to ask questions initially violet has and ask her question about hey what's the altitude of this city and the professor's like you can just ask your own damn question girl um stop trying to lay low and just be who you are and we learn that this is a very high altitude and the Griffins typically don't fly as well as at as high of an altitude as the dragons can. And that based on where the unit from the Eastern Wing was, it would have taken them longer to get there than it did from the moment that the attack happened. And so Violet correctly deduces that the unit was already on its way by the time that they came through the ward. Barlow tries to attribute this to like the general knowing the outcome of battles. He just doesn't know when, so he might've just sent them, but it's like, no, this is a bigger indicator that they have some way of knowing when there's a hole or a tear or some, a weakness, a weak point in the ward.
1: Did either of those things occur to you? Yes. Like when they were talking about, cause I didn't, I, neither of those occurred to me. So my prediction
0: is part of why the rebellion was the rebellion is that they know why that's happening and that ties into a conversation that this all ties into a conversation Zayden has at the tree that we're going to get to because that is coming soon um so Zayden also asks about the village and he deduces that the attackers weren't really there to just destroy the city but they were looking
1: for something that they did not find yeah again like it didn't occur this those weren't questions that occurred to me to ask.
0: I think it sets up that Zayden and Violet are intellectually equals in regards to this. Like she may not have as much experience in like the the actual battle portion of it but being so heavily trained as a scribe she she picks up on these details and he also picks up on some of these details. Um, and then we get to meet Riddick and Aureli. Orally. Yeah, we meet those two sparring. And I, Violet is sort of forming her ally ships slash friendships with Rhiannon and Riddick. And she agrees to help them study for the history class. And they agree to help her train better because she's only been training for six months. Everybody else is trained essentially for their entire lives. Um, we see Barlow take on his first opponent and immediately kill him so like he's a psycho he's a psychopath nope and then violet is made to fight imogen who is the pink hair girl that she notices on conscription day and she gets her ass kicked
1: and dane freaks out and takes her to the infirmary you wrote a kind of kicks her ass on there. And I was like, she breaks her arm. She pulls it out of socket. What do you mean? She kind of kicks her ass. But again, we're back to Violet, not wanting to look weak. So, and I get it. And she, yeah, she explained it today. And she was like, if I do this every time, like they were in the healers, they were having this conversation.
0: Yeah. So we're going to just jump into chapter six because not much else happens. Yeah. So soon she gets to the healer's quadrant and she's having this whole argument about not joining, not running away to go to the scribes, and that she can't come here all the time. She's very familiar with the healer's quadrant because she has to come here a lot because she breaks herself a lot, but she's n- adamant about not coming after every single sparring
1: session. Because it just makes her look like a liability again to them.
0: Yeah, yeah she's, she's trying to protect herself and... I okay. I have a very angry note in here. I get where Dane is coming from to a certain extent that he doesn't want to have to watch his friend get hurt and possibly die. Like that is his argument for his position. And I understand it. Her only option is not to run away, though. That's not actually even really an option. He could he he's her squad leader. Why doesn't he like take extra time to train her? Take extra time to work with her to make her stronger to make her better to find ways in accordance with the rules, but for her to be able to survive. I don't understand why he doesn't use this as an option.
1: I don't either. Maybe there's something going on in the background that he knows is happening and doesn't want her there for. But maybe it's just as simple as he doesn't think that she could do it, and he he thinks he's helping her by trying to get her out. But really, that's not what's happening. But yeah, agreed. Just fucking train her help her Mm -hmm.
0: so annoying and Violet has had a little bit of a mental shift from like day one till now mind you this is like day two but she's very much like driven to prove herself and you can kind of see that in the shift of her language and how her internal monologue has, has changed a little bit After the healers get her all fixed up, she goes back to the barracks and she finds that her sister has bribed somebody to leave her this note and a gift. And the gift is a journal from her brother Brennan, who was the first one of them to go through the writer's quadrant. He made this journal to give to Mira for when she goes through. And this is a really significant gift because in the world, when someone dies, the tradition is to burn all of their belongings Or like sort of face the wrath of the the in-world gods and having this piece of her brother that her sister kind of intentionally saved and has now passed down to her to me is a real sign of the true familial love between at least the siblings. There's obviously clear attachment there. And she is going to try to help her as best she can. She does. She didn't think that this was the right choice, but she's in it. So here's a here's a tool more so than Dane is doing. Like Mira's like, here is something that helped me. I hope it helps you.
1: Why didn't Mira give it to her when she was in the office with her mom is my question. But also, that is definitely going to be significant. I, I, I think you, you wrote it. This is significant. Mm-hmm. But I think the book will be insanely helpful. And as far as the tradition goes, I agree. It definitely connects the sibling and familial bonds. But I, if I'm not mistaken, Rhiannon also becomes aware of the book at some point. I don't remember that happening. Yeah, because didn't she say, like, my mom kept something of my whatever?
0: Yeah, I don't remember that, but I'm not going to say that that didn't happen. So then we go into Chapter 7, and Violet has come up with a plan to help her in her sparring fights, knowing that she's not the strongest, and she's just going to poison all of her opponents.
1: Like, what I honestly thought initially she was going to do, was like put something on her armor that she wears to Mm. like so when she's physically touching somebody like she'll be fine but the person that is touching her will not that's what i thought she was gonna do
0: oh i picked up on poison instantaneously uh when they described the berries and if you pick them too
1: soon they're a little bit toxic i was like oh she's poisoning everyone I got the poison part. What I meant was like how she was going to use it. I didn't think Ah. she was actually going to put shit in people's food. I just thought she was going to like do something like the armor.
0: Yeah. I mean, she talks about wanting to get into the kitchen and have that be her like her internal job. So I'm like, I put two to two together on that real fast. Um, And is it a little bit devious?
1: Sure. Does it work? sure does i don't Um, think that's devious i think it is um resourceful resourceful Uh, and smart
0: hot take violet's a slytherin maybe violet's a slytherin she is cunning she is ambitious by the end of this section at least Uh, Because she wants to survive. She's ambitiously pursuing it. And she's willing to kind of skirt the rules or manipulate the rules to better serve her needs and her intentions. So this chapter, she is breaking the rules already because she's out past curfew. And she's going to go climb this tree to get these berries to eventually poisons right. people. poison people um, and she unintentionally witnesses this meeting amongst all of the rebellion kids um, there's a rule that the rebellion kids are not allowed to meet in groups larger than three probably to keep them from like creating a new rebellion right <laughs> for obvious reasons and so she overhears this conversation and it is what I would have expected Dane to be doing with the new cadets it's and bringing them all together and trying to help them. So they like, hey, who's getting their ass kicked and sparring here? Meet with you're going to go off with Garrick and he's going to help Garrick and Imogen and they're going to help you be better fighters. And then we have this one kid who's like, I just can't take this. And Zayden has kind of a harsh take, but I really liked it. Where he's like, "Well, I guess you're not gonna make it then." And he explains that like they can't save everyone in this situation. And if you're not willing to fight and to try, then he is not either. And if this is war, then people are gonna die. And this is the I agree. this is the piece that I have been waiting to get to because this is the most. Interesting exchange of information, I think, that leads to there being deeper reasoning for a lot of things in this book, which is on page 82 of the physical book. Zayden and this random first year girl have this conversation and she asks about battle brief. It's not that I can't keep up, but the information dot, dot, dot. She shrugs. That's a tough one. Imogen responds looking to Zayden. You learn what they teach you. Zayden's voice taking a hard edge. Keep what you know, but recite whatever they tell you to. These kids know something other people don't.
1: Well, do you think it's that they know something that other people don't? Or do you think that they grew up in a totally different culture and were taught totally different things? And now they've been forced into a military college where they're having to learn their version of history.
0: Because the, the Battle Brief is not about history. It's about current events. So there's something currently happening that the, the children from Terra, whatever, Terrabin, Terrison, whatever it's called. Hang on. It is a uh, Terrandor. I wasn't even close. They obviously know something. So maybe there's something about where they come from that they know. And I just, I think that this conversation is alluding to something important.
1: Oh, I'm sure it is. I'm pos- I agree. I just don't know what.
0: We're making predictions here. We, we're not deep enough into any of this to know for sure. Yeah. And then they go into who is going to kill Violet. And he's pretty much like, nope, I'm going to handle her. Which, to me, is him offering her protection because he's already decided to protect her, in my humble opinion. That's why he moved her into his unit, so he could protect her from everyone else. He's telling all of the other Rebellion kids, hey, no one's allowed to touch her but me. It's very much like Voldemort being like, no one can kill Harry but me, but, like, less nefarious.
1: Yeah, I get that. But I don't know if that first move into his squadron is... A move to protect her. They've had zero interaction, unless whatever it is, they know. Like, mm-hmm. but I don't. Ties I, into her. Ties into her. But then again, I don't even think that they know. If anybody knows, it's Zayden. If if that yeah. first move was to protect her, then Zayden knows something that nobody else does. From but from that point on, I would agree with you the rest of them were moves to protect her. But the first mm-hmm. one is what I can't quite get, which I'm hoping they'll explain at some point, but
0: I'm 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 assuming we're gonna get a Zayden explains all at uh, like chapter kinda a uh, okay. chapter fifty four of Akamath. Um so this is when we officially learn about Zayden's power because Violet tries to wait for everybody to leave to then also leave and zayden's waiting for her and he's like yeah i not only is your perfume a lot which he's paying attention to her he knows her perfume over everyone else's but he's like i have the power to like control shadows so i just saw you um my prediction as of this exact moment is that her power is going to complement slash contrast with his in some way or another his is shadows hers is going to be something
1: to do with light yeah but like what though
0: I don't know I don't know it could be as arbitrary as like Shadow of Bone where sh- her power is literally light and his power was literally dark but they weren't actually love interests um I don't know it could be something innocuous I don't know I don't know Um, so they have this conversational dance with each other where he's trying to essentially assess if she is going to just go run off and tell everyone about this meeting. And she Mm -hmm. makes this independent decision to not. She's like, you guys weren't doing anything in this little secret meeting that was like bad. So like, even though technically you're not allowed to gather in that big of a group. I'm not going to say anything. She decides to make this, to keep this secret.
1: Yeah, I think I would have made the same judgment call. I really do.
0: Absolutely. Um, And so that means that Zayden uh, now owes her a favor, but he gets to decide when he gives her this favor. And he also gives her really excellent advice with Barlow to throw some knives at him. And
1: I agree with that assessment. Everybody needs a little bit of violence.
0: I think Barlow needs somebody to kick his ass, um, and I'm all for it being violent. Here's
1: my prediction: uh, He's hmm. gonna die like a gr- like a a very deserved death. Let's put oh. it that way. It'll be very satisfying to hear him to, or to read him die.
0: <laughs> Barlow's going to kind of... I have—I think Barlow's going to be a thorn on our side for an, an unfortunate lo- length of time. Unlike the creepy twins of Akawar, where I was really worried that they were going to be around a long time. And then thank God they died real early. Um, yeah. And... I think he's going to stick around for an an annoyingly long amount of time and then he he will die and it will be very satisfying. It'll be the Joffrey death of this book.
1: I was just thinking thinking that. I was just thinking that. Joffrey... 2.0 2.0
0: that brings us to chapter 8 and uh, she's got her little routine now Dane walks her to class or to the kitchens yeah. in the morning Ugh, I know I'm so and like every conversation these two happen on page in the book is him telling her to run away
1: every single one
0: It's so repetitive. I'm like, I get it. This is his point of view. I don't need to continue to read about these conversations. Like, please move on. Um, And then this is kind of where it's really blatantly obvious that, like, sex is not a big deal. In the writer's quadrant, Rhiannon and Tara are seen kind of, like, sneaking back into the dorms. And, yeah. So it seems like... I don't know if we're going to get a spicy scene. I honestly don't, but I feel like it's probably going to happen. I
1: think there will be.
0: So now we're back to class and we learn about the dragons. Dragons. (sighs) Um, So we learned about the black dragons, which are rare. Um, There's like one a century. They're smart. They're most discerning and cunning. And there's this one who has a morning star tail, um, which has the bludgeoning power of a club tail, but the spikes to also like stab people. So he seems super fun.
1: Yeah, he's Um, also considered middle age.
0: And he's the one who had the previous writer, Naolin, who was killed in the battle uh, where Violet's brother was actually killed. And his writer was trying to save or resurrect her brother. And that is how the writer died. Um, So they're like, we're not sure if he's actually going to bond, but like
1: he's... Out and I thought about. the teacher said like he's not interested in it he's not willing to bond so they won't see him
0: I said it was unlikely
1: what did you think about the like resurrection thing
0: uh obviously it's not possible I don't remember I thought I put a note in here maybe it was in my phone about what that is called and I think it's an interesting concept of like they can like re-engineer things. It can stitch things back together, whether it's healing or physical objects or stuff. It's a cool power. Uh, I don't think that that's going to be her power by any means. I don't either. I just think that it, it's an interesting concept, and it's also a very rare signet power. So I don't think we're going to see it anytime soon.
1: I was just curious, because like, why would he attempt something like that if they knew it wasn't possible was it just like an overwhelming grief or or do you think he he was like I know how to or I can do this I've I know how to do it now what like what have you
0: I think it was partially because it was the general's son of who Brennan was but I also think that I don't know we just don't have enough information about that battle because we also know that Zayden's dad is the one who killed Violet's brother it's a complicated weave where's my push pins and red like red string so we learn a little bit more about signet and siphoning and how these powers all work we can see we know few people's stuff and I think I think they mentioned Mira's, but I don't remember what it was. But I think she was like an elemental, if I don't, if I'm remembering correctly, like she can do fire or something. And then we go back to sparring and Violet has her first match and she did, in fact, poison her opponent. And then she disarms him and takes her, his dagger. So that seems to be kind of like the end of the sparring match is when you disarm them and take their dagger. Um, and then she does, in fact, throw a couple of daggers at Barlow, which I enjoyed him her doing so much. And then she, we kind of go through this, like, fight montage of her poisoning everybody in, like, slightly different manners in order to, like, not get detected. But the last, her, like, her today opponent, uh, she messed up on. She gave the wrong timing or the wrong dose amount. And that person is too sick to fight. So now she has to fight Zaden. Zayden so they spar and it is more of him like
1: taunting and teaching her how to fight better for her size and her strength level than him actually trying to hurt her again perfect opportunity to kill her and he's choosing not to he's he is definitely like taunting her but he is having her do things and teaching her the correct way to do it while she's doing Mm -hmm. it so like again he is helping her he is protecting her. Yeah,
0: I 100% think he's doing a better job of teaching her to be a better cadet than Dane has even attempted to do. Um, He does call her "Violence" for the first time. We get her first little nickname
1: moment. I don't know how I feel about it. I kinda like it. I'm still trying to figure out why he called her that though. Like that's the thing. I
0: don't know, Violent. violence, and Violet are close to each other. I don't know. But Dane just seems surprised that she's capable of doing literally anything.
1: Yeah. Again, the lack of confidence is astounding.
0: Violet brings up this excellent point in this conversation that she has with Dane of like, why would a dragon have bonded with Zayden if... Zayden is bad or is here gotcha. for nefarious reasons I
1: thought that was an excellent point
0: point. and he apparently so Dane apparently talked to the scribe professor and he's like oh he's still willing to take you and I'm like she just defeated a whole bunch of these opponents yeah she got her ass kicked a little bit by Zayden but like she's learning she's getting better like oh my motherfucking god please stop being so one note You haven't read this, but he's reminding me very much of, like, an early character in Throne of Glass. And I just want to punch him in the face so badly.
1: We're on the same page there.
0: (laughs) So then we get to chapter 10, and it's the gauntlet. And I imagine the gauntlet as, like, a vertical American Ninja Warrior obstacle course. And they have to go up this gauntlet to get to, like, the field place thing that presentation happens at um so Sawyer goes through the gauntlet first because he has clearly done this before and he kind of shows them how it goes but they also have this conversation about the time and we get a little bit too of this from Brennan's journal where like the time doesn't really matter like your personal time through the gauntlet does not really affect your ability to bond with a dragon and your are like the collective team squad timing doesn't affect anything other than the order in which you are presented during presentation this other I don't remember what his name is Taryn whatever his name is is like all uppity about it and essentially is like no it really has nothing to do with anything so Violet tries to go through it she does okay honestly I thought she was gonna be worse at the Gauntlet, but she gets real stuck on the chimneys, and which is like a big tube that you have to climb up, and she's literally too short to do it. And she witnesses orally fall to her death, which trauma.
1: But I mean, she's seen several at this point, and the the unit that they're training for, like this, is callous, and obviously, I'm sure it would be different if this was happening to me in real life. But like, it's coming. It's just gonna keep uh-huh. happening. So at some point, you gotta figure out how to like grieve and move on.
0: So she elects to be the person who takes Aurelie's items to like the ceremonial burning place and she runs into Zayden Bodhi who is Zayden's cousin and Garrick on the way back who were off flying and doing who knows what we honestly don't know and so she a little bit overhears this conversation but Zayden again has shadow power so he immediately picks up that she is there ends the conversation and confronts her so but then Zayden gives just is Come at Violet with the good advice. So he there she's talking about how she feels kind of hopeless and like she's really considering at this point running away and going into the, into the scribe quadrant and he's like hope is fickle. A fickle, dangerous thing, it steals your focus and aims it towards the possibilities instead of keeping it where it belongs on the probabilities. I love a good math metaphor. He then goes on to say what makes you a writer is what you do after people die. You want to know why you're still alive because you're the scale I currently judge myself against Every night, every day I let you live, I get to convince myself that there's still a part of me that's a decent person. So if you want to quit, then please spare me the temptation and
1: fucking quit. But if you want to do something, then do it. I think it's excellent points. It's also not something I would want said to me because I get, well, while I get where he's, he's like saying, be a realist. Like, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I don't think you should completely squash out hope because at because there are times in your life and where nothing is going your way, mm-hmm. and the only thing keeping you going is that hope that it's going to change and it's going to get better. So I don't think it's necessarily a good thing to stamp it all out but i get where he's coming from where he was like you need to focus on this and you need to be realistic because in those scenarios there are very real life and death consequences but that second like statement he said to her about like you're the scale i currently judge myself again I don't quite believe you. I don't quite believe you because you keep protecting her. He's definitely thinking about her. He is definitely measuring himself against her, but I don't think it's for the reason that he said.
0: I take so I hear you on the hope thing. I think what he is trying to say is that you still have things within your ability to do to change your circumstances. You can work harder. You are clever. You are smart. You can figure this out. You need to look at the probabilities right now not the possibility of dying like yeah you're either gonna live or you're gonna die but how do you increase your probability of living what can you do in that regard like at what like I don't like the phrase of pull yourself up by your bootstraps but like what is within your own ability to do to help yourself what skill can you develop what's what thing within yourself can you rely on i think that's where he's going from not so much like hope is being is bad it's just like this is not the time to hope this is the time to work your ass off and Increase your own probability of living. The second one, I very much feel like this is him early confessing that he has obviously ulterior motives to talking to her, but that he is very aware of who she is and what she is doing. And it is something that he is paying attention to in very, very detail because he wants to be a decent person. That is why he's letting her live. He wants to be somebody who lets her live. He wants to be worthy of somebody like her. I think he's already... I think he's already worthy enough. Don't get me wrong. But like, we're looking at character motivation. I don't think he thinks that he will ever get her to be interested in him in the way that he is interested in her he probably thinks that there's too much bad blood between their families it's very romeo and juliet of like they're really not supposed to be together and they're going to end up together and i love his advice too when she's like bitching about the chimneys and he's just and he's just like the right way isn't the only way figure it
1: out like you don't have to follow convention I think that was just a reminder, though. Because to Mm -hmm. me, that's exactly what she did in sparring. Like, the right way isn't the only way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's just like, apply this to the gauntlet, you schmuck schmuck McGee. So we also learn about feather tails, and they hate violins, and they're cute and adorable, and one just randomly shows up for presentation. It's the gold one. Yeah. And we learn a little bit more about green dragons and orange. Um, And then it's Gauntlet Day and it's uh, rough and but... But Violet does make it through the gauntlet. Yay! It would be really bad if the main character of the book died on chapter 11. So she makes it through the gauntlet, but she kind of does, a, she does skirt the rules ever so slightly. So she does use a rope to go up the chimney, which I think she should have just done from the get-go because it's there for a reason. Duh. But when she has to go up the ramp, she uses a dagger to help, like, swing herself up onto the top. And And... we find out that Amber Mavis is the person who has a lot of problem with this particular strategy that Violet chose to use. But Violet takes a piece of advice from Dane and she uses the codex to her advantage because she's like, well, technically anything you come across the parapet with is considered your person. And therefore you're allowed to bring your person into anything, so I carry these daggers across the parapet, so they're part
1: of me. And she's like, That's not what that's for. And it's like, that's how it's written though. But that's the thing. I like I'm not gonna give Dane the credit here because she already knew the codex before he said it. Like, so I'm not giving Dane the credit that he gave her that advice. I'm gonna I'm petty. I'm petty like that. I don't like it. Yeah, I like and I I think Mavis has a problem with it for a couple of different reasons, if I'm being honest, because I think she probably thinks that Dane has a thing for her. Um, Mm -hmm. And then also she sees it as cheating. But again, I don't see it that way. Like why, why was the rope there if it wasn't supposed to be used? Like Mm -hmm. why was that rule written that way if it wasn't supposed to be used? Like, There were holes left in it, maybe not for a reason, but they've been there for a long time to the point where, like, if somebody else had figured it out and they didn't like it, they would have changed it.
0: And maybe they will change it after Violet. But Violet, to me, is just like every AP kid that has ever existed, because as a former AP kid myself, I looked for every loophole and every rule and every assignment I could possibly find because it was So, she's just using her AP kid skills to her advantage.
1: I didn't do that in AP, but I tell you what, I do it in arguments because if somebody says something to me that I don't like, and I'll I'll say it back, like you know, as you do in discussions and arguments. And their usual response is, "I didn't say that," and it's like, "I literally just quoted you." So, you know, like the words are, you have to be particular in what you say and and use the correct language because a lot of people don't do that a lot of people Mm -hmm. think i'm going to say it this way but really that's not what that means you're not saying what you think it means which is exactly what i think happened here in the codex
0: um, and so then we go into presentation so there's 169 cadets we learned a little earlier in the book that there's about 100 dragons looking to bond so obviously not everybody's going to get a dragon um, Violet placed squad placed 11th and she wasn't the slowest so go Violet um, so we th- this is when we learned that the feather tail is there my eye fell for this red herring super hard I was like oh that's going to be her dragon Because, okay, when we talked about the big black dragon, it was like, this is somehow going to be her dragon, and I don't know how that's going to work. But then they talked about this feather tail, and I'm like, oh, this is perfect. It's going to be, like, a compliment to her and her, you know, physical weakness, and she's going to use this to, like, prove that physical weakness or physical ability is not the only thing and I, I fell for
1: the red herring super hard. I did too. I definitely did too. Um.
0: So presentation is, I had a really hard time visualizing this. It's just like this weird walk through the woods that's kind of like a beauty pageant but all of the writers just... All the cadets just walk by. And you're, like, in with your unit. So you have to walk down and then back. And on the way down, everybody's fine. They kind of have a little squad argument at the end and when they're turning around. And on the way back, um, two of the squad people, Luca and Pryor, get uh, barbecued. So that's for them. Um, And... Then Violet has this weird interaction with a couple of d- green dragons because they're like sniffing her yeah. corset because yes. and she's like oh do you smell my sister's dragon scales on me because it, it's made out of her sister's dragon scale so that was her. so I was like oh this is a, a hundred percent like I she's the main character of the book so of course she was gonna bond but I was like she's a hundred percent none of these dragons are gonna fuck with her pretty much.
1: I don't know. I don't know. I I think it gave them a connection to her, but I don't know. It, when you say they they're not, they're not gonna mess with her, you don't think they're gonna torch her in this instance, or just like a permanent.
0: I think it was step one to show that Violet has a unique connection and understanding of the dragons. Because anybody else probably would have peed their pants if these two green dragons came up and literally were like smashing their faces into their bodies. She... Pretty quickly picks up that they have no ill intent and they're really just like, Oh, we smell something on you. So she's able to understand the and engage with these dragons in a unique way. And we see that I think even more when we go into chapter thirteen and go into threshing and the whole situation with the feather tail. So How we
1: do that. Yes. What would you do? If I was being sniffed by two giant green dragons and you were in Rhiannon's spot, what would you do?
0: I would just tell you to stand still. Don't move. Like if there was a bee, okay? I would treat it if there was like a bee or a wasp floating around you. that That is what I would do.
1: I think if the roles were reversed, I'd be like, Melissa. That's so fucking cool. I'm so jealous. <laughs> like you're being sniffed by a dragon. Like, you know how Harry Potter has um, Patronuses? Mine is a dragon.
0: Oh, so mine's a dolphin. So.
1: I can see that. That's a good,
0: that's a good point. I, so, it's a dolphin, okay, but also orcas are or dolphins, so I personally just feel like my Patronus is an orca. Chapter fifteen is <laughs> threshing, or at least okay. the first part right. of Chapter threshing. 15. So threshing is when they Chapter actually go out into the forest, go oh, the, go out the forest to go bond with their date. dragon. It always um, happens on author. October 1st. Um, so Thanks for picking an arbitrary date. It always happens on October 1st. So, it's dangerous for several um, reasons. If you try to bond with um, the wrong so dragon... You're gonna get tree barbecued tree. by if the you dragon. You the other cadets dragon? also can just decide to kill you because they think you're you too weak for the end. The description of bonding with dragons has to this point been incredibly esoteric. We don't actually know how it like fully happens. We know how to approach a dragon because we get mm-hmm. that told to us, but we don't actually know how the bond works. Like is it already pre-established? Is it like is it love at first sight and they look into each other's eyes and then they're bonded? Like we don't really know. Um, so, Violet is out there for like a while and has not, like, she's seen some dragons, but she's like, those aren't my dragon. Um, and then she decides to climb this tree to get a better vantage point for who knows what reason. And she sees the feather tail is just chilling. Mm-hmm. And so she gets out of the tree and then she overhears Barlow and. Orin and this other guy talking about wanting to kill the feather tail because it is weak.
1: Clearly this has got to be a huge issue. Yeah, because it's it's the same reasoning he's using for going after Violet. Same reasoning. Yeah, but
0: this is a dragon. At this point yeah. you're it's not the humans you're going to piss off, it's literally the dragons. Like I'm pretty sure there's got to be some kind of like you don't kill a dragon
1: agreement. I, I'm with sure the agreement. there is. Yeah, I am am i i wouldn't be surprised. Like, I, I'm fairly certain it's in the Codex, but at the same yeah. time, like, he's arrogant enough to think that he can decide who is weak and who isn't, but he forgets that weakness isn't always related. Only his perception. It, that's, that's his yeah, perception, it, that's, but just, what, his perception, he but just weak what he isn't. uses isn't. Just because weak she's physically, because weaker, she's than physically doesn't weaker, doesn't weaker than, than doesn't him doesn't than mean him him she's not stronger mentally. than him mentally. Mentally.
0: Mm-hmm. So. She's not she's clearly smarter than him. So my response to Barlow and his buddies deciding to kill the Feathertail was, bitch, it is still a dragon. Who the hell are you to decide? This sounds like yeah. a great way to get barbecued. Agreed.
1: 100 percent
0: So Violet takes off to try to go get the golden feather tail dragon to fly away. She does get there first, but it is not
1: listening. Is it not listening or can it not fly? Because the impression that I got from their conversation was that it couldn't fly.
0: No, it does eventually fly away. I know
1: that but in that moment.
0: She's like can you fly? Can you do anything? So I have an unhinged theory. Let's hear it. That the golden feather tail is buddies with the big black dragon that Violet ultimately bonds with. And the big black dragon used the feather tail as like, who is gonna be cool and nice to the feather tail? Because that is who I would want to bond with. And so, Violet coming up and defending the feather tail and ultimately like fighting to protect it is what helped Taryn decide to go ahead and bond with Violet.
1: Yeah that's a good theory it could also be that the feather tail is its kid and they just don't know about it but I think that would be pr- the most probable theory that I would think of would why think. the feathertail was there and all that kind of stuff yeah maybe not intentionally there maybe not used as bait
0: yeah but like the feather tails there to be like who's going to be cool with this? Who's going to, cause like, I feel like she has kind of this affinity towards it. Like she is the person who's like, oh, it's there. Like she takes note of it. She pays attention to this feather tail in the way that I don't think the other cadets probably did.
1: Yeah. Oh, 100%. But I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure that the, that the, the feather tail was sitting out there to see, who was cool mm-hmm. with it or not? I th- because I don't think that the dragons would have expected anyone to try and kill them because, like we said earlier, mm-hmm. like I'm pretty sure it's against the rules. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it was necessarily a test, like to see who's cool with it and who's not. I think it was mm-hmm. more. Like, she saw him, and they were taking their – or she saw it. They were taking their opportunities. I think it was just coincidence.
0: So, yeah. So then Barlow and his buddies get there, and they're not going to back down. So Violet's like, I'm not going to back down either. And then we find out that Zayden is there. But the older cadets are a lot to watch, but they cannot – like, they can't engage. Him being there does – Next to nothing. Why do
1: you think uh. he's there?
0: I think he was watching her. I think he's tracking her to make sure that she
1: bonded or was okay and made it through the made it through threshing. Maybe. I still don't I don't I still don't know why. I can't figure out why, but I agree.
0: The feather tail proves to be a hundred percent useless doesn't have claws, has paws and doesn't seem to have any of the other useful dragon things and doesn't participate in helping defend it. So Barlow, this orange guy and Tynan all attack and Violet hits Barlow in the shoulder with a dagger and so
1: he calls her a bitch and then runs away like the little pussy he is. Oh my god. I, I When I read that, I'm going to interrupt you and I'm sorry. Yeah. I, like I was like Yes, you yellow-bellied coward. Like, you want to talk about weak? You're the weak one. You're weak.
0: Mm. I hope he doesn't bond with the dragon. I hope he's... Stuck to go back to be a first year again. I hope he gets torched. Oh, get him barbecued, please. That would be delightful. So she's battling, but then she gets hurt. She hurts her arm because she just can't not hurt herself. He mm. so Zayden does like yell out like a watch out kind of thing, and then when one of the two schmuck schmucks are, are like, "You can't do that," he's like, "I'm just offering commentary." <laughs> so he, clearly, he wants to engage oh he wants to help her he wants to defend her but he can't
1: malicious compliance um, man
0: when taryn is gonna like
1: Eddie and melissa's back
0: uh, i meant tynan not taryn you know administer the killing blow she's already knocked out warren uh the big ass black dragon shows up and it's her dragon but yeah the big ass
1: black dragon shows up
0: and- Barbecues him. Whoop whoop. So she gets the biggest meanest dragon of them all. Literally so big she can't get on him. Um, And he suggests that she also kills Orin and she's like "Mm, yeah but it's not like the honorable thing to do. So Orin is left to be unconscious on the ground which I don't disagree with her her assessment there whatsoever. It was the honorable thing to do. A hundred percent. And so she... Is supposed to be able to just climb up him but her hands are all messed up from the gauntlet her arm is broken she's just generally weak oh by the way zayden has like flown away at this point like he's as soon as he saw that like her dragon was there he took off he's like okay she's gonna be fine um deuces, deuces. um and so she so Taryn actually like kind of leans down, like bows down for her to be able to climb up his leg, which is like very uncommon, but she is described to being tiny. (laughs) And she's also mildly broken at this point. So she climbs up on him. He takes off and she just immediately falls off. And that's the end of chapter 14.
1: What are your overall thoughts on the, the first Fourteen chapters.
0: It is entertaining. I wouldn't say it's like the best book I've ever read so far. Like, I feel like there's just some things that I'm not expecting, like the language, like the vernacular that, that she is using and that the other students are using when it comes to like the cursing and being like, like using words like "freaking," because that is very like to me like American lexicon vernacular and most yeah. fantasies my brain immediately puts it into like there's torches and things like that but like there's nothing in the story to suggest that it is a medieval
1: type setting so maybe it's just my own I kinda, interpretation I kinda put it there as well like when I read stuff like that but I think she because I definitely see a lot more present pieces in this one than in like mm-hmm. Akatar, because like the way she kind of set up the military college bit. Mm -hmm. That's vaguely familiar. Again, some of the language, like you said, that's a very American way of phrasing something. Mm -hmm. But that – I don't know. I noticed it, but not enough to distract me, I guess.
0: Yeah. It doesn't – like – Keep me from sus- like that suspension of disbelief that you're looking for when you're engaging with a book or a movie or television show, for sure. It was just something I like noticed. And I'm like, OK, this isn't what I was expecting. When we talk about dragons, I'm I'm assuming it's going to be like more medievally less tech. Yeah. Um, and it seems like we have magic instead of tech a little bit Um, like, when we're talking about, like, the projections from the professor who's telling us about the dragons, that's not happening from a technical perspective. It's a a signet ability he has. So it's just, just things like that. Um, I think this is, like, the first hundred and, like, sixty-six pages. I'm definitely interested to see where the story goes. I'm interested to see, I don't think whatever the hype is of this book is in the first hundred and sixty pages.
1: I agree. I think I said to you, and I said to Molly... I was like, this so far isn't living up to the hype initially. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, like that, the last couple of chapters is where it really grabbed me. And I was like, okay, this is going to go this could live up to it, I guess.
0: Yeah, once you hit the gauntlet, the pacing gets a lot better. Everything pre-gauntlet, like pre-chapter 10, is just like Dane being annoying, Violet feeling unsure of herself, but like growing a little bit, and then just like general baseline world building, which you're going to have to have happen. Like all of those things have to exist. But yeah, once we hit gauntlet, it definitely the pacing got better. And I'm in like... Super fun. I arbitrarily split this book up, by the way. I literally was just like, okay, there's no like definitive section, so we're just gonna split the book into thirds. I didn't
1: intentionally leave us on a cliffhanger. So I'm not gonna give anything away, but I'm gonna qualify I'm gonna talk about the fact that I went a little bit past what I was supposed to. So the fact that you randomly picked that spot to stop was it's funny, but it it seems like a good, almost like a really good point to hit, like a part two of a book, because mm-hmm. it start. It definitely takes it takes off in mm-hmm. chapter fifteen.
0: Okay, okay. So I'm excited to read our next section. Then,
1: yes, I think that you'll really enjoy it. The other part of this is that some of your opinions that you have expressed earlier in this conversation. May or may not have been correct, but I definitely agreed with you on some things that were not correct, but where I was at the point in the book, I was on your page. So next week, I'm gonna have a big grin on my face and... Just be like, hey, give me a smile. <laughs> so some of my predictions are correct
0: and some of them are, are not correct. But I'm, I'm not looking to be correct all of the time because it's
1: not fun yeah. if you can always guess it. Uh, I disagree. I love being right. I really like being able to confirm that, yes, you picked out the story. That's one of my favorite things to do.
0: See, I, I don't want it to be that predictable. I want the author to subvert me to get like the way that I got caught in the red herring for the golden golden uh, feather tail I 100% was like that is her freaking dragon like I was reading the section where like she sees it like from the top of the tree and I was like go get your dragon girl
1: I mean it, I don't want it to be predictable don't don't misunderstand me there I take pride in the fact that I can pick out stories or where mm-hmm. it's gonna go before other people can I like it can I I'm gonna ask you to send me a voice note when you get to the part you'll know exactly okay, Good point. <laughs> okay. and I want a voice note because I want to play it the next time we record. <laughs> Because I think that will be hilarious.
0: Okay, I will record a voice note when I get to the mystery part of the next section. So just for those who are curious, our next section is going. So we're going to get through chapter 26 for the next one. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. This was Melissa
1: and Jill Geek Out. And we hope you geek out with us next time. Bye. Bye.